think uh, for most Christians, as we, it, you don't have to live in this world very long until you get excited about the thought that the second coming could be real quick. Um, you know, we we worry about our lost loved ones and stuff like that, but you know, the reality is there's there's probably going to be more souls get saved during the tribulation than we can imagine. Uh, you think about the United States and everything like that. Let me, well, this in your own life, what brings you more to your knees, prosperity or need? You know, uh, and I think the flesh is always that way when your needs are getting met. Uh, you get to feeling a little bit like, okay, I got this down. I finally got this under control. I'm, you know, and a little bit too much self comes in, and that's the reason God is faithful to stir that pot uh, and shake up because our dependency needs to be on Him. Uh, and but boy, you know. So the thing is, uh, you know, we sit there and we worry about our lost loved ones, and sometimes we may think that'll be a good reason for the rapture not to happen. But the thing is, uh, God's capable, and I just as of course, I know it's selfish, but I'd love to punch my ticket, you know, and just, uh, you know, and the Lord just take us on home to glory. It'd be good for all of us to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, but until then, we need to be faithful and uh, and do everything we can to bring honor and glory to our Lord and to see souls get saved. Uh, I appreciate y'all's faithfulness to the Lord's house. You can. There's just families that you know, if they're not ill or out of town, they're going to be in the Lord's house, and it's a comfort. It's a joy, um, and I count it as a privilege to get a chance to teach. Again, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, going to read verses 18 through 29, and then we'll get to talking about it. The Apostle John, again, is a, an elderly saint. Uh, this is uh, some... Uh, 57 years probably after the crucifixion of Christ. He's been an apostle a long time. He's up in his years. And he, these tender phrases that he uses in verse 18, little children, talking about the children of God, talking about this group that he's talking to, not not that they're little children, but the, just that tenderness. And God the Holy Spirit's the one that inspired him to say it. Isn't that a comfort when you get to thinking about it? That your heavenly Father looks down at you and almost like that little toddler that just comes up. I mean, you know, uh, and, the, and the warmth that it brings to your heart. I mean, they get older and they get a mouth sometimes and stuff like that. But when they're little and they just come up to you and they got that, that they smile just because you're mom or dad. And I mean, anything you have to do for that child is worth it. And, and I think I don't think it's a mistake that God allows. The, the apostle to use this phrase, he wants you to know how loved you are. I mean, it's a comfort to know that God loves us. He's proved it by Jesus Christ, and he proves it again and again to But it's a comfort just to look at it. It goes, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last time. Isn't that interesting, writing this in the first century? And they're already, you know, thinking of the last time. They went out from us, talking about those folks that he's calling uh, the many antichrist. He goes, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. But you have an unction. And that word there would be the, another use of it later in verse 27 is the same word that's used as anointing. Uh, from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is to Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received from him abideth in you, and ye, shall, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now John begins here in this still by reminding them of something they had already heard before. And what they had heard is the Lord Jesus had uh, said and uh, says, I come in my father's name and you receive him not. If another shall come in his own name, him will you receive. And that's in John chapter 5, verse 43. Paul also mentioned the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Um, next he tells them, even now are there many Antichrists, where we know that if that it is the last times. You know, go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter um, 2. I need to double check my note here just a second. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 1, actually. And in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. I believe Paul's the writer of the book of Hebrews, even though it doesn't say who the writer is. God, who at sundry times and in diverse divers manners spake in past time, uh, times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir to all things and by whom also he hath the, made the worlds what the Jews never could see was that they never could see the, the church age they look for the Messiah to come back or the Messiah to come in the first place and set up the kingdom again. And even most of the prophets and stuff did not understand or comprehend the church age. And these last times is the times of the Gentiles. It's the times that um, 
would most of us have, you know, because the gospel has come to the Gentiles, we've gotten saved. And one day, and it'll last until the Lord comes back and sets up his kingdom. So we're in these last times. Uh, it talks about in, uh, and we're not going to read it for right now, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 13, it talks about the intensity of sin in these last times, that it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, and we look at our society that we look in and we look at even the school shooting. How can people be so insensitive to human life, indifferent to human life? The Bible tells us, you know, that in the last times people will have unnatural affections. They just, they won't have natural affections. I mean, they just, they have no value of human life. Um, and so, you know, the thing is for us to realize is even as John wrote this message and he was telling this church in the first century that they were in the last times, the last days, we're now 2,000 years later, or at least 1,900 years later, um, and we're seeing that intensity of sin. We're seeing the uh, the divide in people, the, the, I mean, you, you look at the homosexual crowd, you look at all the broken homes, the, um, just the different things that we see, uh, and it just uh, shows to us that it, the sin is intensifying, just like the Lord said. And so it's, it's something for us to look at in our day and time, too. It's still something we need to study. And in this here, he gives three things about these antichrists. Now, the word Antichrist is used elsewhere in the Scriptures to discuss an individual who will come and set up his power. He'll try it during the tribulation period. Most people who have been in the Bible much know that the Lord is going to come back in the cloud. There will be a trumpet. There will be the shout of the archangel. We don't know what he's going to shout. Some people think come up hither or something like that. But we don't know just that the trump's going to sound, the archangel's going to shout, and every person that's ever trusted Jesus Christ but has died is going to be bodily resurrected. And then uh, all of us that are saved but still walking the face of the earth, we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we're going to go up and be with the Lord and go to heaven with him, and then... The Antichrist is going to step on the scene. He's going to try to explain away what happened. And he's going to be busy setting up his rule the best he can. And for about three and a half years, it's going to be a terrible situation because sin's going to rule. People are going to be wicked. But it may actually be a time of prosperity to some degree, too, because he's going to be trying to consolidate his power. But then he's going to go in and sit on the throne or the, in the temple because he's going to encourage the Jews to rebuild the temple. He's going to walk into that temple and he's going to sit down and say, the God you've been looking for, I'm him. And the Jews are going to reject him. In fact, the Jewish nation's almost going to get saved in a day, the Bible talks about in that time period. But during that time, because of that, he's going to turn his wrath on the Jews. And most of the world, since they've aligned themselves with the Antichrist, they've made their choice to support the attack on God's chosen people, which is the Jewish nation, still is. 
And that's when the great tribulation starts happening and all the wrath that you read about in the book of Revelations that God pours out. Now, that's going to happen to the individual that's the Antichrist. But what John is talking about here in our text is false teachers. And that's the reason he talks about that there's many Antichrists, and he's talking about false teachers. And the... The people who fulfilled that role probably in John's time was the agnostics. And the, um, the, descri- the dictionary description of agnosticism is a system of a mystical, religious, and phil- philosophical doctrines combining Christianity with Greek and Oriental philosophy. And Pastor, in his notes that I'm using here, has a deal that bluntly, it, they're a mess. You know, and, and that's basically about the truth of it. Um, you know, a, a professor, H.E. Dana, made the comment, he said, the watchword of agnosticism was built upon the root, which meant to know by inward perception or personal experience. The agnostics claimed that their theories were just a higher development of redemptive message. That's why John said in verse 21 of our text that no lie is of the truth. In other words, falsehood never proceeds from truth. What they did was they stepped into churches that were worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, acted like they were Christians, but then started putting in their philosophies that they had and trying to draw away a following. Um, the, anytime a person bases their beliefs upon their experiences or their inward impressions, in other words, their emotions and stuff and different life experiences, and that's what they're going to base their religious beliefs on, they're headed for trouble. You, you just got to realize that uh, if you truly base your salvation or your thoughts about salvations on your emotions, well, today you'll be saved and tomorrow you'll be lost. I mean, there's some days I want to get up out of bed and go tackle the world, and some days I just want to pull the covers up over my head, you know. Some days the alarm clock goes off, and that's one thing. The other times I want to chunk it across the room, you know. Uh, you know, your emotions are not a good foundation to base are you saved or not. It's the word of God and following what it says. But the how it fits into us today, though, is the, the system that basically has replaced that to a large degree in the Christian walk, if you want to use in a very broad tense, is the charismatics in our day and time. And you, you get the phrase... You know, the, he, these were people, the agnostics back in John's day, that wanted to take their philosophies and their theories and, and build on Christ more than what Christ said about himself. Now, you know, like some people believe you've got to be baptized to get saved. Now, if you take Jesus and you have baptism, if you take away baptism, what do you got left? Is that enough? Yeah, that's enough. In fact, adding baptism, well, which one did you really trust in to get saved? What is it? What experience are you basing your salvation on? That I got baptized or that I trusted Jesus? 
if it's, you know, joining a church in Jesus. Well, in your heart of hearts, where did you really put your confidence? Was it joining the church or did you put your confidence? So adding anything to Jesus destroys the gospel. It sets up the next generation. You might be saved, get messed up in your doctrine, but you're likely to so confuse the next generation, they don't really get saved. And so God is so serious about protecting his word. But in the charismatic deals, how many of you have ever known someone of, of you know, I got family that uh, belong more to a charismatic kind of church, and they say, the Lord's given me a word of wisdom. Has anyone ever heard that phrase from somebody? The Lord's given me a word for you. Well, what does God say in the book of Revelation at the last chapter about anybody that adds to this book? Yeah, he'll add all the plagues that are in this book to you too. Uh, the thing is, God has completed his revelation to us. Now, God can guide you. You can ask God a question or you can claim promises. You can pray and ask for wisdom. But God is not going to tell me verbally in my, what to tell Brother Corey he needs to go do with his life. God will tell Corey what he needs to do, and God will tell Rick what Rick needs to do. You know, it, the thing is, I can get up here and share the truth from the Word of God, but then the Word of God is going to be used by the Holy Spirit to, tell, to answer questions in a man's life. And so the thing is, but that's what is kind of taken over in our society. The agnostics were the false teachers back then, but we have false teachers today as well. Um, they basically have believed that the agnostics that John is talking about, that they continue to acquire more knowledge. In other words, the more we hash this out, the better ideas we come up with. You know, and so we'll have this rule, we'll change this. And they kept, they got to the point where basically they just decided they really didn't even need Jesus. We finally, you know, they started out in the church, supposedly, obviously not saved. But then they got to adding this and adding this and adding this and adding this. And then they figured out, well, you know, you know, the reality is I don't think Jesus ever was the Messiah. They, and and they get, that's how far they went. With it Now notice in verse 19 that he says, they went, you know, one thing I want you to notice here, that 12 different times in this one verse, John the Apostle uses the phrase they and us to draw a contrast. 12 times in one verse, he said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Now, the, the thing here that we, we see here is that they were not of us. Basically, they never were saved. Uh, they never really had been Christians. They had been part of a congregation. Um. It also says that, um, but they went out, and it almost shows that basically it was a divine intervention on God's part. They decided to leave, but basically God was of the same opinion that they needed to leave. And you'll notice in church work, if you, if you have your eyes open, 
There will be folks that come in these doors as guests. They'll come in, they'll visit for a little while, they'll sit around a little while, they'll try to pick people's minds and see if they can get some gossip going, see if they can get this pot stirring a little bit. And if they find out you the church body just really isn't interested in playing that game, they'll go on down the road to where they can find somewhere to play that game. And the reason they came to us is some other body probably finally got tired of them. And they, they caused a big enough stink they had to go down the road. So the thing is, not everybody that comes in the back door, we're to love them. But the thing is, we need to love the body. We need to love one another so much that we don't get sucked into that. And then we're going to see in the scriptures here that God, the Holy Spirit, gives us enough insight to know when we're hearing false teaching, when we're hearing false situations. But, you know, uh, you can tell a great deal about people if you listen to them long enough, how do they talk about church and Christians? How do they talk about the people in the body? And the thing you need to realize is that you know, if someone is continually criticizing Christians, you can know right then that they're not right with the Lord. They may be saved, but they're not right with God. Let me ask you this. Does God love us? Are we all his children? How does he tell us to treat one another? How, do, how did Jesus say the world will know your mind by your love for one another? And so the thing is, if you're sitting there constantly criticizing the church, constantly criticizing your brothers and sisters in Christ, first of all, you need to make sure you got Christ. You need to make sure you're truly saved. But if you see it in others, you need to realize they're not where they need to be spiritually. They may be your brother and sister in Christ, but they're not where they need to be spiritually. So guess what? You need to put a real heavy filter on whatever they're criticizing. If you're criticizing somebody, you don't need to take it hook, line, and sinker. You know, you need to put a filter on that because if they're right with God, it doesn't mean any of us are perfect. All of us have got fault. If we've known one another very long, we, we know one another's faults and our shortcomings. And if we don't, it, you know, it's pretty obvious after a while we've all got them. But the thing is, we love one another anyway. And, and the thing is, we carry, we hopefully give our brothers and sisters the same slack that we'd be willing to give ourselves. I've had some bad days some days, and I'm just almost ready to spit nails, you know. And, uh, you know, and so the thing is, and I got a feeling this, I'm not the only one in that camp. Uh, but so anyway, if someone's really got a critical spirit about Christians in general, they're either lost or they're certainly not in the right relationship with the Lord. And we need to be real careful about their influence on us. We need to love them, but need to be careful about their influence on us. Verse 26, the other thing that these, um, you know, the, the, they, they leave the church is one of the things they do, but also they try to lead others astray. Uh, look in verse 26, it said, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. 
people who are out of the will of God or never were saved, people who are criticizing the church, causing trouble, false teachers, are usually trying to figure out how to, to get people out of good church. I don't know why they like that, I don't, but I've seen it too many times. We've had a family we knew in Ohio that their daughter uh, started dating a guy who went to a different church. Uh, they, got, they got involved in that church. Uh, the, the man that was a brother in Christ, I'm sure of, he didn't like tithing too much, and the other church didn't emphasize tithing at all. And said, in fact, a preacher openly preached that you don't have to tithe. Just do what you feel like you want to do. Well, then that kind of was a hook to that brother. And the next thing you know, the whole family was over in this other church. But guess what? They weren't happy enough to stay in that other church. Okay, you left our body up in Ohio and you went to this other church. Quit calling members in our church and trying to suck them out of our church over into that church. In other words, you've accepted this seducing power of a false teacher and allowed it to draw. Then they use you as a hook to try to snag other members out of the church. Uh, I've seen it more times than I care to see it. Um, but So these false teachers are aggressively trying to lead others astray. Uh, go with me, if you would, to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll look at the first three verses. Paul, writing here to Timothy, says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. You know, you look at some of the, the scriptures here, um, you know, you don't have to look very far. You can find certain denominations that tell men that if they're going to be in ministry, they don't need to get married. Uh, I don't think I have to even name the faith that does stuff like that. There's others that sit there, and uh, I can remember they don't do it so much now, but uh, on Friday you weren't supposed to eat meat. You know, back when we went to school, you were supposed to have fish. Uh, the school cafeteria always served fish on Friday. They still do that, you know. Uh, you know, and right here in the Scriptures it tells us that this is not proper. Um you go back to the agnostics, and they got to the point where they kept adding to Jesus and denying his divinity that he was the Messiah. You know, you can go, if you look at the, and I ask you to please don't do it, but the doctrines of the Jehovah Witness, Jesus was a created being. He isn't God the Son. If you go to the Mormon faith, he is not God the Son. 
In fact, the, Jesus had a twin brother in the Mormon faith. Guess what his name is? Lucifer. Now, is that what your Bible teaches you? You know, it isn't what my Bible teaches me. So you go and you try to detract from Christ, you try to take away. And there's lots of churches out there that people, quote unquote, say are Christian faiths, but they're not. They're seducing spirits. There's only two spirits out there. There's God, the Holy Spirit, and there's the influence of Satan. And, and so, like I said, we have to be careful and let the Word of God talk to us. Um, he tells us here that, you know, um, basically the thing that we need to look at, I apologize, I'm a little tired tonight, so I apologize for having to stop and look at my notes just a little bit, but the... The thing is, is just because someone uses the Lord's name and somebody talks in a, with the Christian lingo that you hear, don't, don't take it for granted that they have God's glory or you, your best interest at heart. But you don't have to because God has given us, first of all, the word of God to guide us. He, he tells us, um, look here with me, he said... Um, in verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. This is God the Holy Spirit in your heart, giving you the ability to discern when you're hearing falsehood. God the Holy Spirit will reinforce when you hear truth. And God the Holy Spirit, if you're in tune to the Lord, if you've been in your Bible, if you've been praying, if you're wanting to be led of the Lord, when you hear falsehood, there'll just be something about it that you'll know that you're not hearing the truth. And when you're hearing the truth, God the Holy Spirit will amplify that and encourage you in it. Um Verse 24, he talks about the word of God that we have. He says, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. He's talking about the word of God that they had heard. Um, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. In other words, you got the word of God to direct you, and when you hear falsehoods like, I took you over to Timothy, and it tells you, you know, that people will one day tell people that they ought not marry, and then it'll tell you not to eat meats and stuff like that. I mean, the first time someone in that church had said, this is what we're going to do, somebody ought to grab the Bible and gone to Timothy and said, why are we violating Scripture? You know, uh, but the thing is, that's not what they did. Uh, then the Holy Spirit, as we talked about, um, excuse me here just a second, so I turn a page. Jesus used this uh, deal about the Holy Spirit, this quoting uh, in Luke chapter 4, and verse 18, when he quoted Isaiah 61, 1, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. 
In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, Paul explains what happens when a person receives Christ as Savior. Now he which established us with you in Christ hath anointed us is God, who also hath sealed us and has given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now the results of this, according to 1 John chapter uh, 2 and verse 20, is you know all things. And the thing is, though, now do you think John is actually trying to say you know every single thing that's ever been taught? No. But you know all things that are necessary to detect error. You, you, you've heard, if you've been in your Bible, if you've allowed preaching and teaching to be saturated, in other words, you've absorbed it, you hadn't just been there and it came in one ear and out the other, and then you have the Holy Spirit because you're truly saved and you've been praying, you've been allowing God the Holy Spirit to try to live actively in your life, you've got everything you need to know to hear. When you hear falsehood, you'll know you're hearing falsehood. And you'll give it the amount of attention it deserves, which is none. Um, but you have everything you need to detect error. But the key does come down to allowing the Word of God to be given a place in your heart and the Spirit of God control of your life. We have all the tools that we need. Why do brothers and sisters in Christ still get seduced away into falsehood? I've seen it too many times. People that I am confident they were truly saved, but they got seduced away into another church, and then after a while, they usually probably weren't in church at all. But what happened? Well, the thing is, they neglected this, and they neglected their prayer life, and they got to the point where God no longer, God the Holy Spirit no longer had control over their life. Uh, we had uh, this um, same brother that I talked to you about uh, earlier up in Ohio that went to this other church, this other man who had been kind of missing church. It started out missing Sunday night a little bit, and then and then he missed uh, Wednesday night and stuff some. And, and all of a sudden, he got just as faithful as he could get. And uh, I was talking with him, and he goes, I didn't realize how backslid I'd gotten until I realized they were coming over to my door on a regular basis. They evidently thought I was some low-hanging fruit. <laughs> and they're coming by my house and trying to woo me out of the church that I loved to go to a church that I knew taught that they had seen something in my life that I hadn't recognized myself, and that was that I was backslid. And he said, when, I, when that action started happening, it scared me enough to realize, to come to my senses and realize what had happened. And he corrected it in his life. But that's what happens. Our pastor uses a comment that I think is a great illustration. He said, almost nobody ever has a spiritual blowout. They have a slow leak. And I think that's what we see is true in most times when we look around. And even in our own lives, when we have not been what we should be at times, we come to the realization, little by little, I read less and less of my Bible. I pray less and less. And then all of a sudden, I'm really tired on Wednesday night. I am just whooped. And I use that as an excuse not to come to church. And then sometimes it's just now it's just a little easier to miss Sunday night. 
and then pretty soon you're that low-hanging fruit and something somebody doesn't talk nice to you or something happens you get your feelings hurt and all of a sudden you're not coming to church and then somebody senses that it's in a church of a denomination that you never would have dreamt of going to and all of a sudden they're, they're trying to woo you to go into it and that's that seducing power that God that Satan can use to even get saved people now why do you think Satan wants to get a saved person into a false teaching church. Pardon? Yeah, the they you you're just you're not going to get fed the truth. You're not going to be encouraged to do what's right. And because of it, he Satan can't get your soul back if you if you truly are saved. But he can ruin you as far as ever leading anyone else to the Lord. And so he's busy about doing his business. He's lost our souls, but he, he really wants to mess with our effectiveness. And we always got to be on the guard because he is a master at setting traps. He knows what he's doing. He knows human nature. And so the thing is, is he tells us in verse 28 that to stay on our toes, because he again he uses that, that tender phrase, little children. He says, now little children, abide in him, talking about Christ that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. has nothing to do with salvation. I mean, if you're going to be before him at his coming, you're saved. But the thing is, you know, if you know daddy's just about to find out what you've really done, you know, and he, and are you looking forward to him coming home when you was a kid? Or would you just, you know, you're just not real confident that this, you know, this is going to work out real well, you know. The thing is, when you're not living right and stuff like that, you're not going to be looking forward to the rapture. You know, you're not going to be, you know, there's just so many things that, and so he's just saying, stay with the stuff so that when the Lord comes back, you're going to be like that little toddler that just lights up like a Christmas tree because daddy's here. Because you're so overjoyed to see him with the thought of the second coming, the thought of him coming back. Because none of us are perfect, but we know when we're trying and when we're not. And he's just telling us to stick by the stuff so that we won't be ashamed. And then he gives us an evidence of, uh, and he goes in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, and we know the Lord is, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. It's just a, a quick little examination. When people are coming to you and they're trying to mess with you, just realize that they're, God said you'll know them by their fruits. If they're, if they're living for God, it's going to be obvious they're living for God. If they're living for self-glorification, that's going to be obvious what they're living for. Whatever it is they're living for, it's going to be obvious and he's telling us we know our Lord Jesus is righteous. And if that individual is truly a servant of God, they're going to be living that same kind of life. And it's also what we want to see in ourselves. I want to thank you for your good attention. Brother Nolan, could I get you to close this in a word of prayer? All the, the first things that happened in our lives that there is 
uh, a will that you have prelaced there, Lord, that some things will happen and some things might not be so great, but later on down the line we see where you are at work. We just ask you, Father, most of all tonight that you would be with our pastor as he uh, labors with the physical problems that he has. Him and his wife both, Lord. I'd also add our deacons and their families, Lord. There's so many of them that have physical problems that they're dealing with. Lord, just bless us. Lift us all up. Give us courage. Give us faith. Help us, Father, to be servants of yours. And help us, Father, not to fall by the wayside. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all.